0: Wasn't that a, a powerful worship time? I think um, my heart is expectant this morning. Um, a, probably because that was such a wonderful pre- time in the presence of the Lord, but my heart is expectant this morning. I think there's some significant times when God wants to meet with his people, and I think this morning is one of those. Um, the topic is peace, um, and and we'll go into some of the different different things of what peace is and what it can be for us. But my heart is heavy with the expectation that God wants to impart his peace to you. Um, and if, if, if you feel like you're already full of peace, then he wants you to impart it to someone else. That's his heart. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I just want you to prepare your heart. We'll have a time at the end where we'll invite the worship team back up. And, and we'll, we'll probably leave the altar open. If you want prayer, it'll be there. But also just to, to come before God, who is the Prince of Peace. So I just want to, if I can lay that on your heart as we speak. Um, The first thing I wanted to do was to to brag on my wife just a little bit. So uh, I like to brag on when I can, so it earns me brownie points. Um, But this week she was talking to me about um, a relationship that she has with one of her family members. And she was saying, so I know we're in this fruitful, fruitless series, which is pretty much what? Just saying, what do you have in your life? What is in your life? Do you have God in your life or do you have, you know, is it Jesus or Jesse or whoever, whatever your name is, you can put it in there. And, um, and she was saying, I, I've specifically purposed in my heart to speak only that which is uplifting and encouraging and, and building up into this specific family member. And, and they're not in doing anything wrong or bad or anything. They're just in an important transition period of their life. And, and the temptation is to, to say things maybe more bold or with a negative spin of saying, you can't do this, you've got to do this. And it was just amazing with the question that she asked herself, what kind of fruit am I getting from him? And she was coming up against a brick wall as far as him being receptive to that. And so when she purposed in her heart, just thinking about how can I be fruitful? How can I actually sow into this where I'm going to get something back? And as soon as she did that, she actually found an overwhelming openness, an overwhelming, if you will, fruitful kind of bountiful thing that she was reaping as she started sowing and i thought that was such a good picture of what i hope that we're after in this series uh, who cares take away the cheesy t- title take away whatever it is that you think it might be but fruitful fruitless do you have evidence of god in your life or is it just something that you come to sunday and you talk about and you sing about and then then saturday Saturday, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, whatever day it is, you don't have the evidence of who he is in your life. And it says, you're, you're going to prove to be my disciples by the fruit that's in you. That's also how we glorify him. If we're not having this fruit, there's not glorifying of God going on. Um, and then the next thing I wanted to talk about was pet peeves, but I didn't want that to be the segue saying that my wife was one of my pet peeves. So I'm just, I'm moving on from that and saying that that has nothing to do with that. But I wanted to talk about pet peeves really quickly. I always enjoyed um, asking pe- what, what people's pet peeves are, because you learn a lot about them. Um, and we'd, we'd ask what your pet peeves are in the training class that I did. So if, just think right now about what some of your pet peeves are. Um, is it noisy eaters, people that open eat with their mouth open? Um, one of mine is bad drivers. I, I'm kind of getting over it now. But when somebody doesn't indicate, either right or left, I remember I was in, in the States. I learned to drive here. I think that might be one of Viv's. Uh, she was laughing at that one. Or maybe she's pointing at Trevor that he doesn't do that. Um, I was driving in the States, and I, I, I indicated, or I didn't indicate. Somebody pulled in front of me, and they didn't indicate. And I yelled out, freaking indicate, or something like that. And, uh, and everybody in the car erupted with laughter. And I looked around, and I was pretty upset. I was like, that could have caused an accident. And they said, what, what in the world does indicate mean? And I said, what are you talking about? He didn't indicate. And indicate means nothing in America. They use their blinker or something like that. If your pet peeve is American accents, I apologize this morning. <laughs> tapping is a pet peeve that my mom, it was almost dro- driven insane by with my tapping as a drummer as I was growing up. So pet peeves. What do pet peeves do? They steal your peace. So like Rachel said, we're in fruitful or fruitless. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit is joy. And now we're on to peace. And I was thinking this morning... How can you minister peace if you don't have peace yourself? If there's areas in your life where I'm not saying it's a fake front but you have a front that it's just too painful to address, how are we going to bring peace to a world that is longing for peace? The desire for peace is universal. Um, I, my heart is so sad, and we were talking this week in the office about, you know, the, in, is it in Syria where there's some of the Christians are being targeted, and ISIS, and we have wars all over the place. There's, there's not a lot of peace there. The desire for peace is huge. Some people want peace between a family member or somebody that's been estranged. I think of my own family. You know, I think there was, in some of our extended family that some have passed on now, there was this rift because there was an inheritance that, They were fighting over and they didn't talk. They didn't talk with each other for 40 years. Much more personally, maybe, is there peace within yourself? It's a challenging question. We have a world where sex, drugs, alcohol, and maybe not even some of those that are so serious. But what about Facebook? What about gardening? What about things that are just a distraction that help us if it's even for a moment to forget about the things that have stolen our peace? It can be tough to confront those things that steal our peace, but I, I'd like to ask you right now, take a moment in, in all seriousness and ask yourself, what steals your peace? Not just the pet peeves level of peace, but is it a destructive habit that you just can't break? Is it in reliving or dwelling on past negative traumatic experiences? Is it thinking about a current circumstance that you're in that feels hopeless, that you're never going to get out of it? Are you in a financial hardship where you feel like you're never going to climb out of this hole? Is it something to do with your self-image, what you think about yourself, or the way that you view yourself? Our very first point, which I hope brings a lot of encouragement to you, has a preface to it. The things that you're going through or the things that were horrible that you went through or maybe that somebody else that you're walking alongside is going through might not just unhappen and they might not just undo or they might not just resolve right away. But our first point is this, it's not about your situation, it's about who you trust. It's not about your situation, it's about who you trust. And this comes from our verse this morning, this is going to be one of the key verses. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The key word here is, so why does God keep him in perfect peace? It says because he trusts in you. So the, the key here is in the relationship between trust and peace. And just just for a brief moment, I want to go to, to what, what is peace? What is this thing that we're talking about, peace? I'm just going to fly through this part. It comes from the Greek word Irene. And it there's a couple of words that peace means. Peace means harmony. When I think of harmony, I think of this beautiful symphony that's playing together, and there's not a note that is off. Peace is tranquility. When I thought of tranquility, immediately what came to my mind was a picture of a pool in the middle of a forest that's it's not touched. There's not a ripple on that pool. Tranquility. Peace is Safety. When I think of safety, I had this huge, I had a picture of this huge fortress, and there's a moat around the fortress, and it was impenetrable. Nobody's going to get to you there. Peace is safety. Peace is welfare. It's health. It's lack of strife. It's not striving to get something. This is a powerful one. Peace is reconciliation. Peace is forgiveness. Peace is quietness, rest. And peace is set as one. So set as one. Peace isn't in multiple places. It's not torn apart. It's set as one. A story that has just absolutely taken a hold of me that many of you might have seen, Um Anne's already taken the book from me, is the story of Louis Zamperini. Um, the, the movie has just come out. It's unbroken. But there was a book written before that of the life of a man named Louis Zamperini. And I'm not going to go in, in depth into a story because that's one of the home group options this week if, if you all are doing that. Um, so Louis was, well, first off, he started off, he was, he was a bad little dude. He was a five-year-old smoking, drinking, stealing, um, wonderful little man. And he, he moved into, he ran away from people that he'd done bad things to for so often that he became a pretty good runner. So much so that he went to the Olympics for running. And then, this was in 1936, He then, World War II hit, and so he was drafted, and he was a bombardier. His plane went and crashed into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, So he's not having quite a good track record so far. And he's one of a very few that survive. After they get out, they take stock of their injuries, they get into the raft, they survive for 47 days at sea. 47 days at sea. They had sharks with them almost the entire time. One guy did die during that period of time. There was two of them left, and they were finally rescued after 47 days drifting in the middle of the Pacific by the enemy. They were rescued by the Japanese at that point in time. And so they were then taken to prisoner of war camps, and they were tortured for two years during that period of time. And then finally, the war ended and peace came. But peace didn't come for Louis. Louis. He was tormented every single night, and he had nightmares every single night of, of this, this one specific guy that had been pretty, pretty harsh on to Louis. And he'd, he'd have dreams that he was strangling this guy every single night, so much so that he ended up strangling his wife in bed one night. And she was fine. It was just he woke up and found himself doing it. He was so tormented by this, and his wife said, I want to get a divorce from you. I just, it's too much. Louis couldn't find solace in his beautiful wife. He had a baby daughter. He couldn't even find solace in the bottom of the bottle of alcohol, which he tried to every night. He tried to drown his sorrows every single night for, for a couple of years after the war ended. Until one day, when he met the Prince of Peace, he gave his life to Jesus. The day that he gave his life to Jesus, he didn't have another nightmare after that. It's a powerful story. And, and hand in hand goes with that, the forgiveness that he was able to extend to the folks that had had done him very, very wrong. I love the line from uh, a song by a band called Cutlass. They're a Christian rock band, but it says this. This is something that has stayed with me for so long. Freedom is sometimes just simply another perspective away. Freedom is sometimes just simply another perspective away. And that perspective shift comes as you let go and you let God I think about it that no one is better deserving of our trust than God. No one is better, more equipped to take care of the things that we're going through than God, and yet we still hold on to them and we don't trust him with those things. It's much more about trusting God and actually knowing in your heart that he does work together all things for good for those that love him. One of my favorite verses, I mean, this is one of the things that has sustained me in some pretty tough times throughout my life. has been Philippians 4 verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Have peace in everything. That's a powerful statement. But in everything, with thanksgiving, prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it goes beyond anything that we could comprehend, is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The verse isn't saying that whatever is bothering you is going to go away right right away which it might it did for louis but he does say that the peace of god is going to come over you as we trust god is who he says he is the the promise in his word will come to fruition as his peace will come over you john 14:27 says it this way peace i leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives do i give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. Your situation doesn't determine if you have peace or not. Who you trust does. And in that verse, in that verse that we read of Isaiah, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Brings up our second major point. Peace is a battle of the mind. Peace is a battle of the mind. As soon as you as soon as you stop trusting in God, or maybe you never begin trusting in God, you're going to look for other alternatives to fill that. And we've talked about some of those. If it's alcohol, if it's, if it's distractions, whatever it might be. But the verse here says that because you trust in God, you keep your mind on him, and then you have perfect peace. So it's to do with the mind where the mind is set. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. What I think of it is like this a little bit, that if our mind has actually stayed on God, if we keep our mind on him, that's where the perspective, change, this, the perspective changes. Meaning we don't just, you know, if you're in trouble and you're like, God, please help me. God, I don't see a way out of this. And then you go right back to that fear mindset and you forget about him. You've said, I've, I've offered up my little plea to him. But this perspective change is different. This says you keep your mind stayed on him. You're going to keep thinking about him because you trust in him. So when you don't leave that trust, it's kind of like you picture—I picture going into a situation alone where there's a bully that's going to take you on at school, put yourself back in that, in that category. If you go in alone, that can be daunting at different times. But imagine your boys with you. You've got six of your big, tough friends. You know, I've got some big African-American friends that are 300 pounds. I take them into any—when I, I have any problems. But God is so much bigger than that. Put up the next slide for me, Joel. If you even have these guys with you, we've got Marvel's Avengers. They're superheroes, right? You don't have to have seen the movie to know that these guys can cause some damage. We have a God that is with us that will never leave us or forsake us that is so much stronger, so much bigger, so much wiser, and loves us so much more than these guys ever could. It is a powerful perspective. Sometimes freedom is just simply another perspective away If you picture having these guys with you in any situation, could you not help but have perfect peace? Because you trust in their abilities. You trust that they're going to take care of you of what you're you're doing and where you're going to go. It's powerful. Romans 8, 6 says it this way. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I get excited about that. Peace is something that we don't have a lot of in this world. My I used to work with my granddad um, and he passed away, I think, in 2010 when Angie and I were here at that time. And I was really grateful that we could be here. But he, he was a handyman, so he would go and he'd build concrete walls, he'd go do maintenance fix fences, we'd go mow lawns, we'd do all sorts of things. I very much did not pick up any of the skill sets that he had whatsoever, even though I worked with him for many years. But I did become a master lawnmower. But I do remember one, one, one summer he built, a, um, he built a concrete wall in our backyard to, to hold some fruit trees that we had. And I watched him as he poured the concrete, etc. And, and he built this wall and he mixed it up. But that's kind of like the picture that I had when I thought to set the mind on flesh on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Picture actually setting your mind as if it was set in concrete on the spirit. Because it's not going to be going somewhere else. It's not going to be that fleeting, God help me, and then we jump back and then we don't have the Avengers with us anymore, right? God help me, because we don't really trust in him. We don't trust that he's going to be there to take care of our needs. Set the mind like it's concrete surrounding. You You might need a fresh rebatch. Sometimes earthquakes come along. Sometimes horrible things happen that are going to completely shift, completely shake your foundation of what you believe it might be time to reset that batch of concrete in the spirit and set your mind on him. Um, maybe another way to think about it is like this. Uh, have you heard the old adage that it says it takes three weeks for a habit to form? That's kind of like a, a, a generally, you know, um, put out there phrase. Research suggests that it actually takes about one to eight months for a habit to form, depending upon what, what habit you're trying to form. Um, and there's also good news too, you can even miss a couple days if you're, if you're trying to do that habit and they say you're, st- they, they say you're still going to be successful. But w- what is the point of that? It takes the mind time to establish a new way of thinking, a new perspective, a new way to, to see things. That perspective could be like what we're talking about right, right now, to actually trust God to believe that you got somebody stronger than the Avengers behind you. The new perspective of trusting God is who he says he is, that he will never leave us, that he does work all things together for our good. It's that perspective that says, I will not walk with my worry, but I will walk with the knowledge that he's going to give me the peace that surpasses all understanding. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. We destroy arguments and opinions against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive. This is one powerful way to set your mind on him. That you, you take every thought captive that, says, that, that tries to tell you that God is not who he says he is. When the voice comes along that says you're alone, you take the thought captive and you say he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. When the voice comes and says your situation is hopeless, you throw some John 10 at, 10 at him. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. Peace is a battle of the mind. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Brings us to our last our last major point. It's this. Pursue peace and make more of it. Pursue peace and make more of it. I think... One example that I have of pursuing peace, just really quickly, is, is Rachel. She was doing our hosting for us. I was thinking about how she pursues peace. Her, her and her mom narrowly, they go out for, for Hagar, and they've actually gone. Well, Rachel's gone to Cambodia and the different places over there, pursuing peace on the behalf of folks that are in the sex trafficking industry. They're actively moving. They're actively moving out to pursue peace on their behalf. I think that's powerful. Peace doesn't happen by itself. The only thing that's growing in my gardens right now is weeds. Because I don't do anything with it, and I have to go and kill them sometimes. But that's the only thing that's going to grow if you let it grow. Which means what? That we have to pursue peace. We have to seek out. We have to chase it. We have to hunt it out. We've got a a marvelous hunter in Tony. He's not going to catch that deer by sitting in his home. You have to seek out peace. There's not a bus stop in Upper Hutt that you can wait at long enough when the bus of peace is going to turn up and it's going to download everything for you. Pursue peace. Romans 14, 19 says this, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We're to seek out the things that bring peace into our lives and the lives of others. The pursuit of happiness, have you heard of that phrase? There's a movie made about it. Will Smith is trying to, um, it's a true story of somebody that Will Smith plays and he's trying to break out of this cycle of poverty and make something for his family. He's trying to pursue happiness. What I would suggest is the pursuit of peace is gonna make you far happier in the long run than any pursuit of happiness ever could. There's a powerful story about uh, a young British stockbroker that, that I saw a clip of recently that I wanted to share with you. I'm just gonna show it to you in a moment. But his name is Nicholas Winton. He's somebody that actively pursued peace. He was after peace. He was at the same time period as our friend Louis Zamperini. He, he was in England. He had a heart for some of the Jews, and in, in specifically in Czechoslovakia. It was Nazi-occupied at the time. So he, personally, he funded it himself. He flew over to Czechoslovakia, and he set up shop in a hotel over there. And just in the, in the hotel dining room, he set up his office, and he, he named himself an organization. He called himself, I don't know what he called himself, but he started reaching out to some of the folks there. And the thing that kept coming back to him is that people were saying, our children, we don't know what to do about our kids. Can you please help my kids? We know that war is coming. We know that they're in danger. We know that they're not going to have peace soon. Can you take them? So he, he started to figure out what he could do. And some of what he did was a little bit under the table. He started forging passports and he started doing all sorts of things because England had at the time shut down their, their doors and weren't letting anyone come in. But he arranged for over 650 kids to be transported over to England and to find homes for them. Most of those kids' parents, uh, well, not most, a lot of them had actually died in concentration camps and things like that. 650 kids. He's somebody that actively pursued peace on the behalf of others. So the, the clip that you're about to see is a clip of Nicholas Winton years and years later. And he's being honored for what he did. And what I hope is that you can see, sense, feel, taste, what it looks like to pursue peace. He doesn't know who's sitting next to him. If we could play that clip. But Back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diemann, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. (laughs) And it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? pursued peace on behalf of over 650 children. And I like that video just because it gives you a sense of what does the fruit of peace look like when you pursue it. It's a powerful video. And I know that this is on a huge scale, but I hope that you're encouraged to pursue peace in our own capacity. Jesus himself talks about the importance of being a peacemaker in Matthew. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I I was asking myself when I looked at that, I said, why would a peacemaker be called a son of God? And the answer is as simple as this, that it's the heart of the father to see his children walking in peace. It's not just the role of God to bring about peace, but he partners with us to be peacemakers as he's calling us as his children to walk in that role. Just very quickly, there's a, a wonderful picture in Luke 15 of this. You see the prodigal son. We see the heart of the father here. You, you all know the story. The son, son wants his inheritance. He's out. He squanders it. He's with pigs. That's where he's eating. He's got no food. He says, I want to go back to my dad, and maybe he'll take me as a servant. If, at the very least, he'll take me as a servant. And so he says, he goes back to his dad, and as he's, as he's coming back, we see the heart of the father here. It's in Luke fifteen twenty. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. A father always forgives his son. Forgiveness is a powerful tool to usher in peace. When it says in Romans to pursue what makes for peace, one of those things that makes for peace, one of the seeds to sow to get peace is forgiveness. Remember, peace is reconciliation. The other side of the heart of the father that we see in that story is powerful it's the, the older brother. I used, I used to really side with the older brother. I, I never really got this one for a long time. I was like, man, the older brother really didn't get the, the, the right end of the stick. But I didn't read the story well enough. So when the other brother hears that his dad threw a huge feast for him, you all know, he was, he was pretty mad. He was pretty furious, actually. And I wanted to read out what the enemies of peace are. The enemies of peace are this. Disagreement, hate, Hatred, discord, agitation, disharmony, distress, fighting, frustration, upset, war, and worry. I think the older son probably fit the bill for most of those things in his response to his little brother who'd, who'd done everything wrong and was getting this praise. But we see the heart of the father again in the father's response to his son. He says in verse 31 Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Son, you're all. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead. He was lost and is found. One of the Greek words of peace is reconciliation. Peacemakers understand the heart of the father. And the heart of the father is to see his son or his daughter at whole and at peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Where in your life do you see lack of peace? I remember a situation in my own life where I I wanted more than anything for there to be peace in this specific situation. And and I cried out to God. I said, God, please bring this. Days passed and months passed and years passed. And it never went away. There can be some tough circumstances that we go through, and I understand that. But there's a peace that surpasses all understanding that is available to us with the one that we trust. It's not about our situation. It's about who you trust. It's so easy to tend to trust ourselves or we will even trust other people. How often do we just put all of our eggs in one basket with someone and we say, no, they're going to take care of me. When we know that in human capacity it's unable to and yet we, we struggle to try and give it to someone else. I like the phrase, let go and let God. It's another way of saying trust him. Peace is a battle of the mind. We want to keep our mind stayed on him. We need to take captive every thought. We set, our, we set our mind on him like it's concrete, if you will. What does it look like to set our mind on God? It looks like to trust in who he says he is. He's stronger than the Avengers like we talked about. But it looks like this. It looks like forgiving people that have done you wrong. It looks like reconciliation. It looks like forgiving yourself for things that you've done wrong. Remember the story of the prodigal son. It's not enough for you to have peace if your brother doesn't have peace. I always love the New Zealand phrase, no worries. It's one of my favorites. So I just want to close with some words from Jesus. And I'm going to ask the band if you all could come up. Um, and we're, I'm going to read these words. And, and what I want you to do, if you just prepare your hearts, the elders are available to pray for you if, if that's what you so wish. But I oftentimes feel like coming before God, who's the Prince of Peace, If we're going to open up the altar and that if you want to come and just lay it down yourself. If you want prayer, come and approach one of the elders. But on my heart is for you to come forward and lay down those things that, that might be tugging at your heartstrings for peace. Don't pass up an opportunity to lay down, to surrender, and to trust in God. And as you start to trust in Him, Your mind is going to stay on him, and it then can't help but be kept in perfect peace because you realize who is with you and who's in your situation. But these are the words from Jesus. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you might need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow is going to be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And his grace is more than sufficient for each day of trouble. Amen? So as, as they sing, I need you more, I want, to, I want to invite you that if you want to bring, you can stay at your seat and bring it before God, but the altar is open. The altar is a powerful place to meet God. That come forward and lay down, lay down those things with peace. Amen.